are coming to the end of a series. It's the last uh, sermon in our Why Church series that we've been pursuing over the course of the summer. And next week, we will, we will be returning to the book of Acts, picking up with Paul beginning uh, his missionary journeys. And today's sermon actually functions as kind of a nice bridge between this series that we've been doing over the course of the summer and, uh, and then going back into Acts. We've been trying to address questions that come up from you and from others as it relates to the church of Jesus Christ. As we come to this last sermon, the question that we're addressing today can be put a number of ways. Uh, and for example, you can say, why are we here? Uh, what is the purpose of the church? What is the mission or the vision of Christ the King Presbyterian Church? And what are we doing in Conshohocken? Those are questions or some form of the, that question. It's something that I hear frequently from you, uh, from people who are considering the church or from people when I'm just talking to them about the church. What's the mission of the church? To explore them, I've chosen two passages. They're both printed in your bulletins or of course you're welcome to uh, follow along in your Bibles as you would like. The first of them is unsurprising and familiar to us. It is the Great Commission found in Matthew 28, and that's the one that I'll read from, and then I will go to the passage that is in 1 Peter. So give your attention to this portion of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and living word as I read it for us. Matthew 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age." Jesus promises here to be with us, with his church, to the end of the age as we are engaged in that task. And now, as we pick up this passage from 1 Peter, we pick up once again with thoughts about the end of the age. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here, at the end of all things, gracious God, as we look at these passages and today as we consider your church and the mission that you have given to your church, we pray that through your word, you would give to us wisdom and understanding. And we pray that you would give to us ears that hear, minds that understand these things, 
and hearts that embrace it, that desire for your glory, for your kingdom to apply these things in this place, in this town that you've placed us in. Guide us this morning then, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, did you recognize the uh, source of the sermon title this morning? It, uh, it, the, the sermon title is here at the end of all things. Now, of course, that derives in the first place from the passage that I just read for us in First Peter. Uh, the end of all things is at hand. Uh, of course, then later on, Tolkien adopted it just a little bit, slightly modified version of this, where at the end of the return of the king, we find Frodo and Sam together, and Frodo says to him, I'm glad you are here with me. Here at the end of all things, Sam. Considering endings, end is a great little word. Now, some might say it's a sad little word, but it's a great little word in the sense that it has multiple meanings, multiple ways that we use it, and that is true as we use it in English. It's also true as you use it in Greek or other languages as well. End can be terminal. So we can talk about the end of a sermon series. You can talk about the end of the day or the end of the road, referring to the terminus point along the way. Or end can be also purpose-oriented. So, for example, in the catechism question that we read earlier, what is the chief end of man? Here we're talking about the purpose and that use of the word end. Both of those ideas are going to be helpful for us today as we consider the church and the mission of the church. Obviously, the question of, of end in the sense of purpose is going to be significant for us. What's the chief end of the church, if you will? But in addition to that, the idea of the, the terminal sense of end is also important. Because if we want to know what the mission of the church is now, then a suggestion for us would be to go to the end, to go to where we're heading, and then to work our way backwards, to trace back from the end to see where we are now and what we're supposed to do as we head to that particular destination. So, a question. How is your imagination? How are you in thinking about things that have not yet come? Do you have the ability, guided by Scripture, to imagine the end of something, to imagine what that might look like, and then to work your way this way from that thing? We know we all, I know some of you like fantasy literature, others despise fantasy literature in front of me right now, but in any case, we know that fantasy liter literature for adults and then especially for kids, one of the purposes of it is to engage our imagination, to develop our imagination, our ability to imagine a different world, to think about other things creatively, beautifully, or terribly, as the case may be. Much of Scripture, not as fantasy literature, but, as, uh, but through giving us fantastic images, is also designed to kindle our imagination, to get us to be able to think of something beyond our present circumstances and to think of what, is God, what God is doing in this world and to draw a picture for us of not a future fantasy, 
but of a future secured reality. Your soul, our church, needs a vision. We need to have an image of what is to come in order to know what to do now. I was reading uh, one writer this week, and, and in fact, it was a commentary here on First uh, Peter, and I read a line that I just loved, uh, and I hope you will appreciate this as well. This is a, it's a very brief quote. Here it is. Eschatology is a cornerstone of the Christian imagination. Eschatology, the theological word that basically means the study of the end times, uh, things that are last, the eschaton, the last event, eschatology, the study of. Eschatology is a cornerstone of the Christian imagination. From the beginning of this book, and here I'm talking about 1 Peter, uh, I'm, I'm going to refer to the Great Commission at various points along the way, but I'm going to spend a good deal of time here in 1 Peter this morning. Peter has labored to show the readers of his letter, the, hear, the hearers of his letter, that this present world with its various structures, with its injustices that exist, with the, the sorrows and the suffering of this world, this present world order is not going to last. And he's trying to say to them, and this is in 1 Peter 1, if you want to look at it either now or later, he's trying to say to them that through Jesus Christ, those who believe in Jesus Christ have a secured and an imperishable inheritance that is for them unfading. It is undefiled. It is kept safely in the future. It is kept safely and secure by the power of God. He's trying to say to the people, listen, you may be going through all sorts of trials, sufferings, problems in your life right now, but there is a treasure, an inheritance that is guarded for you by the power of God. You cannot forget where you are going and what's being kept for you. And so we ask the question as Christians, well, okay, great. What is it? What is the inheritance? What are we expecting? Now, as I said, and we won't go into all places of Scripture, Scripture is full of ways of picturing this for us right? You are familiar with many of those images that are created for us in Scripture. But allow for today, and just for the moment here, Peter to give us the summary of what is coming. So this is a summary statement of what is coming, and it is contained in the passage that we just read. It is the last verse of the passage that we just read. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Where are we heading? We are heading towards a glorious kingdom and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not a tyrannical reign that he will usher in. It is a beautiful reign. It is a glorious reign. It is one of his dominion. And, and here I have to borrow from the next chapter, chapter 5 of, of Peter, 1 Peter for a moment. And he is not selfish or stingy as a king. 
He is not one who says, I'm getting all the glory here and I'm not sharing anything with anybody else. You are merely my subjects. But instead, he says in verse 4 of chapter 5, just a few verses after what I've read for us, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now we want to say, wait a minute, if there's a kingdom coming and Jesus is the king, Jesus is the one who should have the unfading crown of glory. What do you mean? We get an unfading crown of glory. It's a shared glory that is coming in this kingdom that is waiting for us, that is the end of all things, the end of this age or to the end of the age as Jesus says it at the Great Commission. The close of the age will usher in the full display of that which is true in heaven now. The glory and dominion of Jesus Christ will be on full display in heaven and on the earth. And all pretenders and all contenders for the crown, they will be put down and Christ will reign as king over his glorious kingdom. And so, Peter asks, moving us now into 2 Peter, in light of the fact that this present world, this world order in which we live is fading, and the unfading glory of the world to come, in light of those two things, in light of the end, what sort of people ought we to be now? What sort of church ought we to be now? Our ability to have an eschatological imagination helps us to determine what we should be doing right now. And this, this eschaton, this last thing, it, it breaks into the present, not only in our minds, not only because we imagine what the glorious kingdom will be like, but also in a very realistic way because every generation of Christians has been able to say with Peter, the end of all things is at hand. So not only is the end of all things out there somewhere, but the end of all things has broken into the now because the king has come. The end has become the now. That's a dramatic statement. It's a dramatic statement to say the end of all things is at hand. What should follow that? Now, I know I just read it, so it's no surprise here. I can't, I can't surprise you with what should follow this in Scripture. But if you made that statement and you didn't know what comes next, you might say the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, let us throw off the rod of our oppressors. Let us overtake the Romans. Let us establish the kingdom now in all of its glory. Let's say you wanted to base a church missions statement on that kind of idea. Maybe, just an idea, maybe it would read like this. This is not, by the way, our church mission statement. Christ the King Presbyterian Church exists for the further, furthering of the glorious reign of Christ through the transformation of Conchahokan and the increase of shalom manifested in just governance, in ethical and generous business, the alleviation of poverty, educational reform, racial reconciliation, 
and the restoration of human dignity and cultural flourishing. As the gospel penetrates the hearts of the people of Conshohocken, we expect to see ripples of kingdom expansion unto Philadelphia, unto Pennsylvania, the United States, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I've participated in writing mission statements that sound a lot like that. In other words, here's the idea that I'm getting at. A present and a future glorious kingdom of the reign of Christ might seem to steer or to shape the mission of the church towards either an explicit, written in a mission statement, or an implicit, displayed in our attitudes, triumphalism. If not triumphalism, perhaps at least an abandonment of normalcy. So, not, so in other words, the kingdom of God is at hand. Or excuse me, I, that's, I'm quoting Jesus now. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, well, don't go to work tomorrow. Don't vacuum. The end of all things is at hand. You've got to do things that matter things that are important. Maybe we think when you read a statement like that, normalcy doesn't matter anymore. Our marching orders ought to be different. But what does it say? What does this say? What are these marching orders that are based on this reality? A kingdom broken into the world and one that is coming. An end that is known, an end that is now. What then are the marching orders that are given to the church? And you're going to have to let me read these again because you need to feel the weight of them in the context of what I just said. So dramatic beginning, dramatic end, what do you do? Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks, oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength of God. How do you summarize that for the church? The end is at hand. Stay calm. Be thoughtful. Stay focused, pray, love, show hospitality to one another, and take the gifts that I've given to you, that I've distributed to you, and use them. Whether they're speaking or serving, use them for one another. Build up one another in the faith. Our glorious, secured future should in no way lead us to present arrogance or to self-righteousness or to cockiness, to use another biblical idea of the end. Promised rest in the future shouldn't lead to present laziness now. Instead, the resurrection, the ascension, the outpouring of the Spirit of God and the gifts upon the church empower us for faithfulness and for humility and for love. And those are 
very, very ordinary. They're very normal things in light of an incredibly glorious kingdom. And so Peter, Peter says, chapter 5, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper, proper time he may exalt you. Right now is not the time of exaltation. There will come a time for exaltation, and even now we can anticipate it. It can be a basis of our hope. We ought to sing of that time. We sing of it when we sing of the triumph of Jesus Christ. We sing now of his exaltation. But when it comes to us, when it comes back to us, Peter is unmistakable and he is clear. You are not to clothe yourselves with triumphalism. You're to clothe yourselves with humility in this world. That's what Jesus did. And we're talking about vision. We're talking about mission. You know the proverb that is often quoted paraphrased for conversations like this. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And there's something, there's something in us. I don't know whether it's in all of us cross-culturally. I don't know if it's in us just multi-generationally or if it's just Americans living in the past 50 years. But there's something about us that loves a zippy mission statement. Whether it's a business, or whether it's a hospital, or whether it's a sports team or a school, we feel compelled to develop a mission statement that says exactly who we are and exactly what we are about. Can I just add to the proverb, so where there is no vision, the people perish, can I just, can I just modify it just a little bit as well? and say this, where the vision is misdirected, we the people will go the wrong way. Mission statements are uh, funny little things. They come and they go. You, they, they get revised periodically by management who says we've got to revise our mission statement. We've got to look at it. We've got to make this thing more precise. We've got to mean, make it more meaningful. For some people, yes, let's do that. That will change things. For other people, it's a roll of the eyes. And a roll of the eyes when you look at the actual mission statement that comes out of it. You look at the life of your business, of your club, whatever it is, and you kind of go, wow, tough to match up to this thing right here. And mission statements of the church are funny things as well. Sometimes funny, sometimes tragic. They have suffered mission statements for the church over the years from triumphalism, from overstatement, overreach, from insatiable optimism, from platitudes, from mission creep, wherein the church takes on a mission that involves righting every wrong that exists in the world and doing every right that ought be done. In the name of what? In the name of, and this is how mission statements have gone, in the name of blessing the city, 
in the name of recapturing the culture for Christ, reclaiming the culture for Christ, transforming the culture for Christ, or in the name of ushering in the kingdom of God, the statements are grandiose as they're made. Now, what I'm suggesting is that those are mistakes. They're mistakes that we have made as we have conceived of the mission of the church. And if that's true, if that's true, what then is our vision or our mission in light of the things that Peter is saying, in light of the things that Jesus has said to us? How about this? The mission of Christ the King Presbyterian Church is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Catchy has a historic ring to it. I would have been all for it and all over it, except at the time we were developing kind of a motto slash vision slash mission statement, it was proclamations. So I couldn't use it because it was proclamations right down the street. How about this? Christ the King Presbyterian Church exists to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Or how about this, a little bit more specific, drawing in from the Westminster Confession of Faith. The mission of Christ the King Presbyterian Church is to worship God according to His will, to gather up under the Good Shepherd the sheep of the household as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to perfect, that's the language of the confession, but what it means is to make disciples, to teach us to observe all things to worship, to gather, to perfect. Or perhaps we just borrow the Great Commission. The mission of Christ the King Presbyterian Church is to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Or we could do it more particularly or pictorially. The mission of Christ the King Presbyterian Church is to walk the ancient paths together. You and I are called as the church, in the words of James Davidson Hunter, who's got a great book on this question, as he reflects on Jeremiah chapter 29. And Jeremiah 29, I don't have time to go into it right now, you can look at it later, Jeremiah addressing the captives in Babylon, which has been misused and misunderstood by the church for years. He says, we are called to be, Hunter, a faithful presence to enact the shalom of God in the circumstances in which God has placed us and to actively seek it on behalf of others. And I love the phrase that is from Hunter, the idea that we are to be, we have a mission to be a faithful presence within whatever community God has placed us. Faithful presence. That's not combative. It's certainly not triumphal. It's not passive and it is not pessimistic. It calls us to humility. It calls us to faithfulness. It calls us to service to our God within this particular place and it allows each one of us to play a role in exactly that. Now, I just gave us, I don't know, seven, eight ways of stating the mission of the church. And that, of course, applies wondrously so, to whether or not the church finds itself in Conshohocken or Constantinople, in eastern Pennsylvania, or Asia Minor. 
the marching orders for the church remain the same. They do not change. But God has put us here. He's put us in Conshohocken. This is the place for us to live. This is where we are to live in light of the present end of all things. Faithful presence is practiced where you are. And I may better say faithful presence is practiced where we are. This is our station. God has brought all of us here through some means or another. Through providential working in our lives, we've ended up in this place united together. We don't all live in the borough of Conshohocken, but we are all reasonably close, and this is where we are to apply our faithful presence in the pattern of him who has promised to be faithfully present with us. I will be with you to the close of the age. Now, there are great things going on in Conshohocken. It's a great place to live. It's a vibrant little community. There are also great things going on in the communities around Conshohocken, where you live, where I live, and there are needs. There are a world of needs that exist around us as well. But as the Church of Jesus Christ, we have a particular trust that has been given to us. We have been entrusted with the Word of God. We have been uniquely entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are many good things to be done in this world. There are many good things to be done by you, by me, in this world. But as a church, we have been entrusted with the gospel, entrusted with the word, and our mission within this community is to proclaim that word to proclaim that good news. That is the mission of our church, owned by each and every one of us, some of us in particular who are called to speak, and some of us in particular who are called to serve, to use the summary that Peter gives to the gifts. We do that unto the gathering of all of God's elect children, unto our being perfected, taught the Word of God, taught how to love, how to obey our Lord unto the worship of our glorious King. Mission statements can go all over the place. The calling of the church is always the same. It is that calling. So, brothers and sisters, I'm glad to be here in Conshohocken with you here at the end of all things.